In a relatively young life, Harry Cook has demonstrated a dynamic and charismatic persona. He has charted a successful career as an actor, garnering impressive accolades in a number of feature films. He made his screen debut at 17, playing opposite Hollywood star Gina Davis in the coming-of-age tale, Accidents Happen. Harry is also a passionate activist for LGBTIQ plus rights and visibility. He chronicled his own traumatic coming-out story in the engaging memoir Pink Ink. The book won acclaim for its honesty and warmth. Further gigs have seen Harry acting alongside Sam Neill and Brian Brown in ABC TV's Old School and in the cult thriller Caught Inside with Peter Phelps and Ben Oxenball. Most recently, he won the Best Supporting Actor Award at the prestigious Film Out San Diego for his role in the feature film Drown. Ever present on social media, he continues to chart a full and fulfilling life. Harry communicates his staunch support of many issues, his great love of family and his affectionate obsession with a bulldog named Poppy. Next month, Harry's new book, Finn, Ryan, Fireflies, is released. The young adult fiction book tackles aversion therapy and continues his goal to increase the visibility of LGBTIQ plus characters across all platforms. Harry is a passionate storyteller and is candid about his personal and professional journeys. He provides terrific reflection in this episode of Stages. I see that you're managing to keep exercising during this lockdown, shutdown, <laughs> cease <laughs> of everything good. <laughs> Trying to. It's um, I, I really like the feeling after exercise like once it's done so that's that's sort of what's getting me by at the moment and getting out of the house is really nice so going for a run once a day or picking up some heavy stuff and putting it back down is always a bit of fun look as quite a successful author you've you've just penned is it your second book second yes yeah yes. yeah and I, I i believe you've started on a third yes literally last week i've, I've got the idea and i'm just sort of fleshing it out a bit, um, talking to my publishers about whether it's up their alley for the next one. But, um, yeah, I've got pretty a fairly solid idea, More definitely a bit more um, upbeat than my first young adult novel. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Well, Finn and Rye and Fireflies, uh, it's um, a fiction book. Yes, yes, young adult fiction. Um, it's a story of Finn who comes from a very sort of conservative family and Rye who comes from quite a, a hippie, devil-may-care kind of family um, who they fall in love and when Finn's conservative family find out, um, they sort of freak out and unsure what to do, send him to a, a self-help camp which actually turns out to be a conversion therapy camp um which is which unfortunately that conversion therapy is something that does actually happen still so um it's a story of how they hope to rescue him and get his family on on the uh on side now um so the pandemic has that interfered because i know you were going to release finn and ryan fireflies earlier in the year so does it it's now an august release is that because of the um impact of covid19 it is, yeah, which is a bit of a shame because I've been so excited. We had lots of stuff sort of planned for it. I was going to go over to the UK for a bit of a tour um, in June. That was the initial plan, and then it was going to do some. We were going to do some rounds in hopefully America and 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 um, in Australia, obviously. But as it stands, I'm really not sure what the sort of <laughs> dispatch plan is. I know it's coming out in August. Um, I obviously. Definitely hope that if by then we can sort of all gather in a bookstore, I can go and do some cool signings and stuff. But um, it's still very touch and go as to what what the uh, what the outcome is going to be, I guess, in the next few months. Yeah, so hopefully August twelfth is uh, is when it'll come out. Fingers crossed. Interesting. What's well, not interesting? It's horrific to see the impact on all sorts of cultural um, entertainments, whether it be Broadway. Um, you know, I know the the latest James Bond film has been. Uh, you know getting put back to a time when it can sort of gather an audience. I know. It's really, really sad. Like live theatre is is non-existent. You know, movie cinemas are out of out of uh, out of whack. It's 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 a bizarre I've, I was talking to friends recently. It's you never expect 
to ever live through something like this. This is stuff of of fiction. It doesn't really seem a lot of it doesn't seem real. It's very very bizarre. But um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just I genuinely I'm sad. I'm sad for the live performers. I'm really sad for you know theaters that are having to shut and you know carriage works going into it's it's rough it's rough yeah, yeah dread, dreadful impact um, i spoke to a mate who said it's like living in a horror film but a horror film's over in two and a half hours <laughs> yeah this is ongoing yeah now uh, you're ready a question out of left field who's your favorite yeah. disney princess oh i love that question oh that is a love that is a good question um to be honest, I'm going to say Snow White solely because that was who I used to dress up as as a kid. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. Uh, or Belle from Beauty and the Beast, another one of my favourites. Yeah, God, I love Disney movies. In fact, I think I need to have a marathon. Just sit down and watch all of them again. They don't yeah, make them they, like they used to be. They're, they're great pick-me-ups. They're great feel-goods, aren't they? Once Good you question. get through that, that opening sort of 20 minutes of uh, a parent dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's always sadly it's always the women who, and then the women who are sort of. I was talking to um, a friend of mine who works really closely with sort of female representation in media, and it was about how a lot of the Disney princesses all sort of suffer from one thing or another. Like Belle was like Stockholm syndrome, and Snow White like, like falls in love with their captor kind of thing. So it's funny yeah. the kind of things that they subtly put in these. Maybe. Subliminal messaging. Yeah. Uh, I, I asked you because you document an extraordinary life thus far in your first uh, penned book, uh, a memoir titled Pink Ink. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> That's a, and, and you uh, describe a moment, I think, in a Disney store when you were a, a child. Tell me about that. Yeah, so when I was, I think I was about five, five years old, four or five years old, and I was obsessed with Disney movies when I was a kid, um, especially the, the female heroines in all of them. I was really, really fascinated by them and secretly wanted to be one. And when I was about five, my parents took me to the Disney store in South London. I grew up in London and took me to the Disney store and I saw a Snow White outfit and begged, 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 begged my parents for it for my birthday, which was coming up. And it wasn't that it was too expensive. It wasn't that it was, um, that it was, you know, this this crazy idea. It was because it was a Snow White outfit that my dad said, um, absolutely not, there's no way, you're not a girl, so why would you want to dress up like that? Um, and I think looking back at that now, it's it's really kind of, it, it that was sort of the starting of a, a pretty rough coming out when I finally realised I was gay at the age of sort of 12, 13 I think that was sort of the starting of realising that it was wrong to be different. It was sort of the first inkling that, oh, I like it, but society says otherwise. So, yeah, I write about that in, in the book. It's you, write, you write about it with, with brutal honesty, I must say, and, and look, in this conversation I want to touch on a couple of those moments and, um, yeah. and, and, and just hear first person um, from, from you. So, so you grew up in London in the UK yeah. Your folks, are they English? Because I understood they met in Australia, didn't they? Yes, yeah. So my mum and dad are both from, well, my dad's from South London, my mum's from East London. And, yeah, they travelled out here when they were early 20s in the, in the late 80s. They um, met at the Bondi Hotel and, um, yeah, fell in love, went back to England and had me. And, and you've got a brother too, haven't you? I do. Younger brother Max, he's four years younger than me. Right, okay. Yeah. So, so why the move back to Australia? Obviously, why wouldn't you move to Australia? But um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, they were big fans of Home and Away or? No, yeah. Well, yeah, I, don't, I think, I don't know whether I actually watched much of that when I was a kid, but it was, it was definitely a better lifestyle for, well, especially young parents with young kids. We, we wanted the outdoor lifestyle um, and England just, <laughs> I remember my mum telling me, the year before we left, we didn't really have a summer. It was no, you just trapped inside all year round and it's just gloomy and, and grey all year round. So they just, yeah, I think they just fell in love with Australia and the outdoor lifestyle and, and yeah, packed us up and shipped us out. 
Sadly, you, you begin school, and not only for, for kids um, that are um, wondering about their sexuality, but for a lot of kids, bullying is a, a huge part of high school. Yeah. You, you describe your first year of high school as a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it was a fucking nightmare. It was horrific, actually. My first year of high school, I've said often, there is no amount of money or opportunity that would get me to go back there. It was, I remember I got gaffer taped to the to the bus when I was in year seven by senior, like my hands on the on the front seat of the bus and like didn't didn't wasn't discovered till I got to the depot. Um yeah, it was it was a really rough first year of high school. And it didn't really get that much better until I left. I was desperately keen to leave. Um, and it's a shame now because looking back at it, I, I really loved school. I loved learning. I really, I got a kick out of English and drama and, and history. It was, it, I really got a kick out of learning, but kind of just got distracted by, yeah, kids. <laughs> Bad kids. Kid, kids can yeah. be shits. Yeah, yeah. So how would you, how, how would you describe yourself uh, at that, that early age? Were you... A fe- I mean, a gay kid, effeminate, um, different yeah. looking. I very quickly learned how to sort of adapt, actually. I think my first years of learning how to act properly were then. I think that was when I first realised, oh, you can change yourself. You can be somebody else. Very quickly had to learn that, oh, you can't, you know, it's it's if you act like this, the way I was acting, which was I definitely was effeminate when I was first growing up. Um, and then soon after, as soon as I realized that got me into trouble, I tried to lower my voice and walk a bit tougher and look a bit different. So, um, yeah, I think I very quickly learned how to play somebody else, which is kind of sad, <laughs> but it helps now. <laughs> um, and that's, I, I guess that's why we find salvation in the drama club or in doing school plays mm-hmm. and then ultimately theatre and and all that sort of thing. Absolutely. It was, it, you get to be, I've often said, I think it's, that's the probably what pushed me so far into it. It was such a lovely relief to, to place somebody else, take somebody else's issues on for an hour a day or however long I got to play. I imagine writing Pink Ink was a very cathartic experience for you. You were able to sort of work through a lot of those um, bad experiences and um, come to terms with them. Yeah. And I think find some sort of, uh, joy out of it. It was not joy at the uh, the memories, but joy at looking at how far I've sort of come since then, and and not um, and not harboring it too much. Um, I think I think I'm very lucky in the fact that I've sort of taken what I've what I went through and, and tried to make something positive out of it, which is good. There's a lot of humour in the book too. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. if you don't laugh, you cry. I think that's how I've always seen life. You've got to you kind of do have to have a bit of a giggle at some some of life's fucking nightmares to, to get through it. What, I loved how you you punched back at a particular bully that you had called Mark and you described yeah. him as a skinny, shaved-head little wannabe who thought he was M&M. It's impossible <laughs> for white Australian men living on the northern beaches of Sydney to be hardcore or edgy simply because there is more family money in their driveways than most people have in their entire lives. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I... I could never, I could never understand that. How you could have these, incre- and my family, uh, we've never been, you know, exceedingly well off. We we sort of lived on, in a fibro shack in Narrabeen until my parents finally bought three years ago their first house. And um, I could never understand these kids who look so hot, like they they think that they were in Detroit. And I'm like, you're in Avalon Beach. <laughs> you really, you have no idea what hardcore life is. Like, sit down. Yeah, it was funny. Have you ever run into those bullies again from, from high school? Actually, <laughs> funnily enough, it was the year after I um, my first film came out. It was the year after my first film came out. And the change <laughs> in these bullies and how uh, how interested they suddenly were in what I'd been up to and um, w- what it was like to, to be in a film was was extraordinary. And it was just it was kind of just reassuring to know that wow, these people just grasp onto you know the next best thing or whatever whatever will give them a bit of a, a pep up. So I very quickly turned around and walked away. But yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, shut that door. Shut that door. Yeah. 
Um, and look, coming out to our parents is, is you know, probably the hardest thing we ever do in, in life. You know, it's, it's fear of disappointing them and, or worse, losing them. You tried it a few times, didn't you? And uh, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't an easy experience, especially from your dad. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. The first time I, I tried it, I think it was about 14, 15 maybe, and um, I sort of tentatively approached it and, and, and said, you know, I think I am. And he hit the roof and my mum cried. And so I was like, actually, you know what? I think I must have that. No, I must have drunk something funny. <laughs> that can't be right. So I went and pretended uh, that everything was, was quote unquote normal um and i turned around and went and got myself a uh, girlfriend <laughs> and then sort of pretended that that was what i wanted and that i was i was fine again and that everything was going to be okay um but that very quickly yeah you very quickly realize that you can only pretend for so long and it's it's heartbreaking to go through life like that and i, I feel so sorry for people who who do go through their entire lives like that um and yeah, so I, I, I came out again and it, it didn't go well at all. My my mum was okay. My dad wasn't. He was um, very, very, very unhappy about it. It was an extreme reaction, you know, and, and the way you describe it in the book, we don't have to go into it now, but um, yeah, yeah. really, really yeah. hard to read that, you know, that, that some kids going through that and, you know, that struggle between that father-son relationship to, um, to understand each Definitely. other. Yeah, and I think it, my my dad grew up in South London in the eighties. There was there was horrific media representation of gay people um, when he was young, and I think I, I can't I cannot fault him for that. When you when you grow up in a society that tells you something over and over and over and over again, it's really hard. It's really hard to not think different. It's really hard to break away from that if you don't know any gay people, if you've never met another gay person, if you've never been around gay people or the media has told you how, you know, awful gay people are all your life, it's very hard to change your beliefs in that. And But props to my dad. I give him so much credit and love because he, unlike a lot of a lot of parents, didn't kick me out or, you know, I mean, he, we, we had that kind of issue a couple of times, but he, he didn't abandon me entirely and went back to work on himself and, and, and really put in the yards to understand what's going on. And, and uh, today we're better than ever, which is, which is good. So, Do you think it's a, a, a process of education with our parents, isn't it? They often come from a place of ignorance and it's really just clarifying to them, no, I, look, I don't wear a dress, you know, I, I am safe in my relationships, uh, all of that sort of stuff. Exactly. I think, yeah, it takes a lot of a lot of just opening their eyes slowly but surely that, hey, we're just, we are exactly the same as everybody else. There's really nothing, nothing crazy about us. It's just a different, just like some people are left-handed or blue-eyed or green-eyed. It's just another part of us that, unfortunately, society, I think, has never been good with anybody different unless you fit the straight, white, heterosexual male. It's uh, very hard to be completely accepted which is which is a shame so yeah. yeah just educating them yeah and it's wonderful that you have such a beautiful relationship with them um today yeah so it's good yeah good. thank you <laughs> harry describe for me the first time that you went to oxford street in sydney oh first time i was very young actually i think i was about 16 17 16 probably because it was before my first film so yeah 16 um and me and a friend from school actually no it was me and uh it was my girlfriend broke up with me <laughs> fairly enough because I was uh I was not a very good boyfriend being you know attracted to guys and she <laughs> <laughs> she broke up with me one night at a party and another guy who was at the party who was sort of, I thought, making eyes at me while we were there uh, asked if I wanted to go to the city with him. And I said, yeah, sure. My girlfriend's just dumped me, so why not? And he got us a cab all the way from the Northern Beaches to, looking back, it must have cost him a fortune, all the way to Oxford Street in Sydney. And somehow we got into a bunch of nightclubs at the age of 16. And it was very cool, very cool and crazy and exciting and yeah that was my first experience <laughs> gay disneyland 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you, during those teen years, that mid to, to late teens, you became quite reckless, I think, uh, in relation yeah, to absolutely. drug and, and alcohol abuse. Did that manifest itself as a form of escape again from the, the without, trauma that you were going through coming out? Without a doubt, yeah. I think I, um, oh, it got, it got very bad. I was um, just desperate to be out of my head. I was, I've always been an overthinker. I've always been very anxious. But when it came down to my sexuality and realising that I could potentially lose everything, I could lose my family, I could lose sort of everybody who I hold dear. And when you already, when you go to school and life's tough at school and you don't have any friends and then you come home and your family aren't on board, it's, it's, you do sort of do whatever you can to sort of escape those feelings. So yeah, I, I hit the bottle and the drugs very hard when I was younger. Um, and it, it got bad very quickly. It got, it got really bad. Yeah. And to the point where I, I checked into a rehab facility at the age of 19. You describe a lot of blackouts. Um, now, now, just define for me the, a, a blackout. So it's not passing out. It's just that no. your memory is wiped, is it? And you can't it's remember horrific. what yeah, you It's quite literally like a nightmare. You, you sort of go into a blackout while you're drinking and you sort of wake up from a blackout and you have no recollection from a certain period of time. From It can be anywhere from half an hour to five hours and you just have – it's just your memory is wiped clean and I think a lot of it could be – trauma where you're but a lot of it is just the alcohol takes over and you you just shut down which is which it, it would be better to pass out <laughs> i think rather than go on sort of zombie autopilot and not have a clue what you're doing or where you're going it's it's petrifying uh at the same time i guess you're trying to uh, cultivate a career as an actor mm, yeah. did, did, did the two Col- I, I, well, I, i've read the book <laughs> they collided <laughs> collided occasionally uh, didn't they Professionally, it was always, I'd, I'd work pretty well professionally. I'd always sort of pull up and not do anything when it came to work. But I remember on the when there was no work, um, when I'd go say, that's, I think, I think that the entertainment industry is incredibly rough for anybody, period. But young people, I think there should be an age limit on when you can be allowed to get into this industry because it's so, there are such enormous highs and such devastatingly low blows I think when I got my first movie it was I'd done two commercials and then got to star opposite an Oscar winner as a son and then went to the Maldives and shot a movie for two months and it was sort of this absolute rush that oh here I go this is my career I've done it and then you go six months without any work and you're like what the hell that can't be right what other profession in the world do you go six months without work there's just if you, it's, it's bizarre that you, that that's possible. So it, it hits, it, it hit me very hard. And I think that was when it would go, I'd be able to get on top of myself and, and sort of sober myself up and, and be sensible when I was working. And the minute the, the work dried up or I went a period of time without anything, it was just catastrophe. And I thought, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to go back to, I don't know, telemarketing or you know doing something like it and and then I would hit the drink and drugs hard again it was just this constant roller coaster of hey I'm feeling great oh this is rough it was a very tumultuous kind of time that I think young people just aren't equipped to understand the business as I like I understand it much better now and I sort of have a better grasp on how to live it I guess well, that reminds me uh, similarly of uh, the young footballers, you know, who become buffheads because they experience that great adulation and success at a young Absolutely. age and yeah. spiral out of control because, you know, they, they don't have the ex- life experience or intelligence to really uh, disseminate what's, what's right and what's wrong. Exactly. I think I genuinely do think that there's always been this, this thing of, oh, why do Hollywood young, young people go off the rails so much? Where does it come from? It's because... You're not equipped as human beings. Nobody's equipped to, A, make a great amount of money for, for something that you love to do. It's, it's rare that anybody gets a job that they absolutely adore, you know, and, and to then go to from that to people wanting to take a photo with you or, or, or being on a red carpet, which you sort of, it, it does, it plays with your head. It's very hard to sort of grasp, I think, that level very quickly. It's, it's hard to... Yeah, it's it's bizarre. <laughs> it's a bizarre world. 
Yeah, and hence, you know, uh, whether it be Judy Garland or, or Whitney Houston, you know, they just crash and burn. I mean, they have all those minders yeah. around them sort of yeah. suggesting, well, here, take this or this will get you through or that and, yeah, yeah, sad. Exactly. It is. It is sad. It's sad. Very, very rough. I'm lucky. I've got some good good people around me who uh, care and, yeah, push me in the right so direction. You, you talked about your screen debut at 17 playing opposite a Hollywood start, which was, was of course, Gina Davis. I love Gina Davis and a film called Accidents Happen. I could not have had a better first experience with 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 a with a professional actor. I just couldn't. I I um I just fell madly in love with her the minute I met her. And I'm so grateful because she's sort of become a mentor and a really dear friend and, and just somebody that I, I look up to so much because she sort of did teach me about how to how to act well and, and how to how to how to take it in your stride and and, and really sort of you know it, it was just fascinating to watch her work and and to be so down to earth and to not treat people poorly because you know she, she was just the epitome of, of of class and skill combined I can't speak highly enough of her so yeah she's such an impressive woman I think also because of her activism uh, political activism of of female representation in in the arts but also you know she was an olympic archer <laughs> i know <laughs> bizarre i was like yeah she's she is sort of this triple threat and so so inspiring i think like as you say she i think it was 2006 or 7 she launched the Gina Davis Institute on gender and media and it's this fascinating um, data-run organisation that actually has statistics to show that female representation in, in films hasn't moved since the 1940s or 50s. The actual amount of female characters and the, the way that they're portrayed on film always hypersexualized or, or um, you know, the, the wife or the mum or, or they don't get to do the fun, exciting stuff that the men do. Um, it's just it's incredible that she's not only taken a really exciting career where she's played very, very strong female characters, um, but she's also kind of gone and done this secondary project that has kicked ass and really made some some um, changes in the industry itself. Are you still in touch with her? Yeah. 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 We, right. um, we text often, actually. Text each other photos of our dogs and, um, and just funny jokes and stuff. But she's... She's just a very wonderful human being and um, I'd love to work with her again. I've said to her many times, I'm like, we should do another one, just anything. I'll play anything. I'll play one of her shoes. I don't care. <laughs> or look at even a play. I'd love to see her on stage. So would I, actually. I would, I, and she would be f- wonderful on stage. She's miraculously talented. So I guess you're getting, beginning to get a lot of attention from fans. Um, how did it feel to lose your anonymity? Bizarre. Very weird. Um, I think the first first time was a day after the... And I always thought, oh, it's going to... It doesn't take... It, it must take a while to for somebody to notice you, but we went to the New York premiere of Accents Happened in Tribeca, at Tribeca Film Festival, and I remember the day after, me and my mum... Uh, my auntie were at Banana Republic um, and somebody came, up, somebody came up and asked for a photo and I was more excited than they were. I was like, it blew my mind that anybody would, would want to talk to me or had seen me in, any, in, in it. It was very cool. But, it, yeah, I guess it comes with its good and bad as, as most things. But um, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful when anybody has seen my, my work because we all, like actors... No, it, it's our dream to, to do it. So when somebody acknowledges it, it's, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful feeling. Lovely. You came out publicly in a, in a, a very um, public way um, yeah. <laughs> via a, a YouTube uh, broadcast. Talk, talk to me about the weeks leading up to your, your coming out because it was something you'd wanted to do. It was just getting the timing right, wasn't it? Yeah, I was kind of I was petrified of doing it. Uh, I'd been told by previous um, reps, um, not not my current representation. My current representation are amazing, um, but previous reps had sort of mentioned, "Oh, that's a bit a bit dodgy to come out." You know, you could lose work. It could people. I don't, I don't know whether Australia has many openly gay actors. Do we really want you to go down that road? Um, and I was 
pretty petrified of, of, of doing it. But at the same time, I realized that it was, um, I didn't feel like I was being true to myself or, or um, and I, I didn't really want to go through my career pretending to be somebody in my private life as well as on, as in my work. I just didn't want to have to do that all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I came out on YouTube solely because I thought, oh, I can't, nobody can spin it. I don't have to give an interview. I don't have to, to talk and let somebody else write notes about it. It can all be from me and my heart and I can speak truthfully about it. And um, so I did it and it kind of blew up overnight. And uh, I got, got a lot of really lovely supportive comments and, and a reaction to it, which was lovely. Exactly. Almost immediately, wasn't it? I think uh, you'd press send and then you went to bed and your phone started going off. Yeah, the, it was Today FM called the morning after. A, a couple of um, breakfast shows asked if I wanted to be on it. And to be honest, I was—I never ex- I expected maybe a couple of people to go, oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's nice. That's lovely to know that somebody else. Is. But, yeah, kind of, I think, I genuinely do think it's because there's not especially in Australia, there's not a whole lot of openly gay uh, performers, entertainers. There's, there's, there's quite few who are very successful. Uh, or, and I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying there's just very, very few. So I think it was probably a bit of a, wow, really? You're doing that now? <laughs> so as well as a, a personally liberating experience, part of it was um, a bit of gay activism as well, I guess, and getting, getting a profile out there. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think it was a lot of it, I was just, I was fed up with the double standard. I was fed up that, um, you know, straight actors could take their girlfriends to premieres and that not be an issue, but gay actors had to either pretend to have a girlfriend or not, or go solo or, or not, or not really talk about it. It was, um, and I think a lot of people, as far as it comes to sort of, being in in any kind of public domain, the fact is that there is a part of every performer's life is also kind of documented in the in the public domain as well. So you kind of either have to hide away a part of yourself or be who you are and and admit it wholeheartedly. And I, I kind of chose the latter because it was either that or stay hidden. So yeah, it was definitely a bit of defiance against against it all for sure. Have you watched Ryan Murphy's Hollywood on Netflix? I've seen the first episode. I haven't seen all of it yet, but I love what he's, I've, I love the concept of sort of re, redoing those years. An, an alternate universe. Yeah. I think it's, it, imagine the kind of different people we'd all be now if we got to see ourselves growing up. Like I, and that's a huge part of why I've written my first young adult book, why I want to write another one, why I really want to play openly gay actors on screen it's it's I growing up never saw myself anywhere I did just just it just wasn't there and if it was it was always very tragic stories with no happy endings it was heartbreaking about you know death or or abuse or or attacks or it was and when you see yourself like that I think when you when that's all you get when you're not fed anything other than wow this is the potential of, of what my life could be based solely on my sexuality it's really limiting. You start to, and and like Gina's whole institute is about, if if you can see it, you can be it. If you can't see yourself represented positively anywhere, you start to think that that's how your life is going to be. And I think that's that's why it's so important to shake the mould, which I think Ryan Murphy's doing a phenomenal job at. And if he's listening, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope he does listen. Let's hope he does listen. Oh, please. Oh. Um, I assume coming out um, has allowed you to become a better actor and, and writer also. I, I think so. I, I, I would like to hope so. I think when you let go of your fear, especially as an actor, when, when the fear of not being authentic, because I, 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 my whole, I studied at a Vina Childbrook studio in Los Angeles and it's all about sort of bringing personal experiences to the forefront of your performance and, and, and t- tapping into the stuff that, that once hurt but you can hopefully use in your, in your work, um, I a hundred percent agree. I think I, I, the whole notion that gay people can't play straight to me has always been bonkers because we do it better than anyone. In fact, I think we, I grew up playing straight. (laughs) I grew up 
and learned how to play straight out of a necessity. So it was, that's never been a problem. Um, and yeah, I, I think some of the, the most interesting and groundbreaking performances are, are when you get to play people that you, you yourself aren't and, and haven't ever experienced. So I, I think so. I hope so. <laughs> do, um, do you think your career suffered in any way in coming out? I mean, I, I, I would hope not. I mean, today we see a lot of publicly gay actors who are in regular work, but, but, but what's your yeah. personal experience? Um, America, no, I got I, here. It shifted a bit at first. Um, the the calls stopped uh, coming in for a little bit. It was, and I don't. I mean, that's the thing. I I don't attribute it entirely to my coming out at all in any way, shape, or form. I, I know that the industry is like that, and sometimes you can go a very long period of time without without getting a phone call. But I do think it had something because I remember it was the phone just stopped ringing for a very long time. It was about six months and I thought that's a bit bizarre straight afterwards. Um, and I do, I, I know that there are definitely a lot of those misconceptions out there that gay characters or gay actors can't play straight. And I think that's a shame because I think it's doing a disservice, especially because straight actors can play gay characters and do constantly and win Oscars for it. I think we should be given the same respect to play the straight straight characters and vice versa. I, th- I don't have an issue with at all. I don't have an issue with straight actors playing gay characters. I have an issue when it's we don't get to play straight characters or <laughs> or the gay characters because they don't go to us either. They go to the straight actors. <laughs> so it's sort of like where's our work? Where do we get to work now? But, um, yeah, it, it's picked up since, which I'm very blessed and grateful for because I would I love my job more than anything in the world. I love acting and it is my passion, so I, I hope to continue. <laughs> Let me just qu- uh, quote a moment from Pink Inc. Um, you described a, a particular Bullhead radio interviewer who put you on the yeah. spot at the end of a conversation and asked, so I guess it's safe to say you're not gay. Uh, and you replied with, my coming out was mine and it belonged to me. I mean, you, you deflected the, the response beautifully, I think. But Thank the you. fact that, you know, my coming out was mine and it belonged to me. It does. It belongs to each individual. It's up to them when they want to do it, how they want to do it, at what age they Absolutely. want to do it and why they want exactly. to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Could not agree with you anymore. And that is the case. And it's, it's not up to anybody else to ever do that for you. It's not up to anybody else to put you on the spot. And it was, it was a shame because it was a film that I'd done where I played the straight character and this was before I came out and I got to play a straight character in this film called Drown and it was about homophobia and and um yeah for, for the interviewer who was gay himself to actually put me on the spot like that um was was I just I just think not not very fair because it's just not it, it is it, it each to their own and when when somebody wants to come out it's up to them to do it I think <laughs> sometimes there's um it becomes a realisation. I remember growing up and every time you'd go home, all, all the aunties would say, when are you bringing a girlfriend home? Then when are you going to get married? And then the questions stop. <laughs> you think, oh, maybe yeah. I'll put two and two together. Yeah, yeah. Eventually it all clicks and they're like, oh, gotcha. No. <laughs> no. Uh, tell me, Harry, as an actor, do you read reviews? I do <laughs> when they're good. <laughs> no, <I> have, <laughs> if they're people, not, have they're people. Not. Yeah, <laughs> I have people screen them before I get to read. No, I um, I do, I do, and I, I, I um, I'm pretty open to them. I, I don't. I think as well. I think reviews are subjective, and I, I do take that as well in in the fact that some people are going to like what I do, some people aren't going to like what I do, and that's totally fine. Um, and as long as some people get a kick out of it or as long as, as long as it's not everybody saying I'm horrific, then that's, that's, uh, then that's okay. You, um, you, you beautifully embrace the communication power of social media. I mean, you seem to have so many socials, which is fantastic. Tell me how important is it for an artist to use those tools? Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, and, I found it to be helpful. I found it really wonderful in terms of, of 
when it's come to my films coming out or, or books coming out or um, needing to promote something, it's really nice to be able to engage with people directly to get an idea of what they, they think of it because otherwise it would just be sort of a premiere or a book signing that you'd hear from people what they, what they thought of it. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a real lovely part of it. I also think that it can be incredibly toxic and, um, and not good for the soul at times. But as an artist, I think, I don't think it does any damage. Yeah, so I was in America and I had this uh, executive meeting with, with a bunch of managers and I remember they were, they were talking about my marketability in terms of the projects that I could potentially be a part of and one was sort of saying like oh you're you've got 30,000 followers but this other actor's got 70,000 followers so he'll get the part before you do so we need to boost your follow it was all very uh around how many viewers it would get (laughs) which is a bizarre notion for me um to think that that would come into the casting process and not your but then I guess that could be the same as height hair color, eye color. It's all—it's a bizarre industry like that. They pick you based on a variety of things that aren't always about your performance, unfortunately, But um, which is why I love theater so much, I think, because it's, it's less of that. It's less of the marketability side of things and the PR side of things. It's more your work, I think, and I, I love that about the, the, um, the theater industry. We had a, a few years in Los Angeles, you know, an industry town for the movies. Um, how difficult it is, is it to retain who you are as a person when there's probably a lot of people around you telling you who you should be and what you should be? Starting out and young in, in the industry, it's, it's hard to retain some sort of sense of, no, these are the kind of projects I'd love to work on. Like I, I am such a huge fan of characters that are... Um, painfully flawed and um you know I, i'm fascinated by it i would personally love to play somebody who's a heroin addict or somebody who's gone through a severe trauma or something like that they are the kind of people that i find enormous appeal when it's a character like that so and i went through a period of about six months in america where all i'd go out for was superhero parts or or um you know the the romantic supporting part. It was always those which are which are wonderful wonderful things to play also. But it's it is yeah it's hard to sort of have your say when you're starting out. I think. Um, tell me, as a writer, are you are you disciplined? Um, do you have a, a set space and a time of the day that you write? No, no, I'm kidding. No, I do. I try. I try. <laughs> I, try. I'm, I work good when I've got uh, when I've got like a deadline. I, when I've got things looming my sort of creative process kicks into gear and, and I, I go hell for leather. When it comes to sort of being in the moment and wanting to write, it's, I find writing exceptionally hard, joyful as well, but really hard to get that first draft out. The first draft is, is the hardest to, to, to make sure that you sort of hit all the character arcs and, and take it to the place that you have envisioned quite deeply about wh- where you want it to go. Um, to get that right the first time is near on impossible. So it's, I think getting, getting it in the best shape you can the first round is is excruciating. But then I go back and I really enjoy, I really enjoy the second look over it, and and I can f- finesse it and make it make it come alive more. Um, but getting the the framework is, I find it really rough. <laughs> do, do, do you suffer much writer's block? And if you do, how do you deal with writer's block? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, this sounds bizarre, but I actually go for a run, strangely enough, and put, or, or blast music. Music is a good one. I, I, um, I've, I've had a few really fundamental ideas that have gone into m- my young adult book by literally running and listening to music, things that just trigger when I'm, when I'm I think, because if you think too hard, it all goes away. I think sometimes you do just need to not, not overthink it and let them come to you at times, which sounds very hippie and <laughs> bizarre. Oh, no, it's great, great. I think you've got to reset the brain, don't you? And if you go for a run or listen to some music, you focus on something else, you can come back yeah. with a clear head, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely it. What about lonely? Is it lonely writing? Is it a lonely experience? 
Yeah. Oh, these are wonderful questions. Yeah. That, um, yes. Yes and no. I think it's it's. Uh, I always got a kick out of acting because it's a two way game usually. Unless you're you know doing a monologue, it's always it's like playing catch. You get to play with somebody else and and um, feed off of them, and you get a lot of energy from that. I think from from collaborating with somebody in a performance writing is solely your ideas in the page so i i get very critical i'm, I'm critical of myself period I, i'm never exceptionally overwhelmingly happy with how uh anything i <laughs> you just saw you I, there's always a level of criticism there but i i think writing is very very much telling your head to shut up and 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 realizing that what you're doing you've got a plan for and that it you need a level of confidence in yourself to know that it's it's going to be okay. Finn and Ryan Fireflies, your young adult fiction, um, how did the story gestate? I mean, where did you get that idea? I've got a couple of friends who've, who've been through conversion therapy um, and I've always, always been petrified yet fascinated by it. I just, I find it the most bizarre thing for me to think that um, people, religious you know, in, in, with a religious background, would go so far as to to practice a therapy technique that that would change somebody. That you know, they could they could pray the gay away. It's it's just petrifying for me. And so I paired that with my desire to want to see more um, young adult novels with with LGBT kids in. And um, yeah, it sort of formulated that way. But I also was desperate to to make it. Uh, an upbeat ending and, and something that people could look forward to rather than a catastrophe kind of book. And um, I think, I think I've, I've done well with it. I think. <laughs> we'll we look see. forward to who's publishing it. We look forward to grabbing copies and reading. Um, so the book is published by Ink Road, which is a uh, sort of sister company of black and white in the UK. And it's their first LGBT young adult novel so i'm very 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 proud and stoked and hope really hope it does well and that everybody gets a kick out of it because it was it was a lot of fun to write well i'm sure it'll be another triumph to follow pink ink and now tell me harry cook how do you define love <laughs> oh that's a good question and one that's that's a lot to answer um i think just unconditional i think it's it's that thing love is Love is when you just, you get someone, I think. And love is when you're at your best and two people are both at their best. And like the way I see it, I was talking to this about a, with a friend recently, actually. Love is um, like the way, <laughs> the way I see my dog. I would do anything for her. I would walk in front of a train for my dog. But I think This that is your, your bulldog poppy. My bulldog poppy, yeah. She's yeah. she's one in a million and and... I think love is when there's no surprises that can that can knock you off kilter. You're very stable and happy and and together. I think that's it. And I'm very happy in my relationship right now. So that's that is good. That is good. That's a a perfect answer. A perfect answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, I was very excited to hear that you uh, look like uh, rebooting your podcast, The Waffle with Harry Cook. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to give that a crack again. I did it about three years ago in the hope of just talking to cool, creative people that I know and, and just getting an idea of how they, um, how, what, what gets them going, I guess. I've, I've always been interested in people in, in my industry and, and how other people got involved in it and how it all kicked off because nobody's, nobody's story, as you know, with your own podcast, nobody's story in show business is the same. It's always a haphazard <laughs> road to wherever you want to get. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the reasons I, I began stages in the first place, um, teaching kids uh, just to that realisation that there are so many pathways. It's not necessarily just about going to a NIDA or Whopper or VCA. People find their places in this industry in a myriad of ways. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the exciting part about working with creative people because we're all bonkers. We're all we're all yeah. mad and we all we all get to do our thing in one way or another. And you know, some people some people can't afford to go to NIDA or Whopper. Some people don't have the means to 
to train that way. Maybe they take night courses or they, they need to train elsewhere. So there are a million different ways that you can sort of get started. And I think it's, it's inspiring to hear the different ways people got into this industry because it's a, it's a bizarre, bizarre gateway. You, you have to sort of answer three riddles to a wizard and, and, and <laughs> tap dance on hot coals to get in. And when you're in, it's, it's just that constant fight to the, to the, the next job. I was actually, it's funny. I got my SAG card a few years ago and it is the weirdest, weirdest thing. The, the Screen Actors Guild and, and getting a card for that because it's catch-22. You get a card when you've got work, but you need, you need the card to get work. It's this constant, how do you get a Screen Actors Guild card without it? And so eventually you just need that lucky break to give you, yeah. So it's, it's a funny old, funny old industry for sure. You never know, do you, what's around the corner? Nah. Harry, it's been super to uh, have this conversation with you on stages today. Your authenticity and passion is so engaging um, through, you know, your screen work and and certainly, you know, your writing. Um, all the best with Finn and Rye and Fireflies, which is out in August. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Peter. Honestly, this has been such a joy. I'm a um, very, very big fan and thank you for having me. I'm really, really grateful. I think you're one of the first person uh, people to uh, to drop me a note to say that you're enjoying the, the podcast. So you know, I really yeah. appreciate that, and it's lovely that we've been able to develop this uh, this friendship um, over those months. Friendship. So yeah, hope to see you again in person very soon. Yeah, definitely. When all this when all this nonsense is over, absolutely, we'll go for a coffee. Absolutely, lovely. All right, have a good day. You too. Thanks, mate. Look out for Harry's new book, Finn, Rye and Fireflies, upon release next month and available from all good booksellers. I also recommend uh, his memoir, Pink Ink. It's a terrific read. Happy birthday to Harry also. For tomorrow, we wish him all the very best. Thanks for making us a part of your podcast listening. A new episode of The Stages podcast is released every Thursday and occasionally there's a bonus episode dropped in for good measure. Until next time, I'm Peter Ayers. You've been listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Keep warm, keep well. I'll catch you next time.